Van Riken Productions presents The Tome, Episode 1. Written by Gerald Van Riken. Performed by a full cast. Welcome, dear listeners, to our opening chapter of The Tome. Our story unfolds in the sleepy town of Twin Rivers, Indiana, a town clenched tightly in the grasp of a cold and rainy autumn. Tonight, we find ourselves in the cozy study of the esteemed Professor Augustus Hawthorne, an expert in ancient civilizations and languages. Little does he know that this night will start him on a journey beyond his wildest imagination. Professor Augustus Hawthorne sat at his desk, surrounded by shelves filled with books and curios of all kinds. He was poring over an open book, its pages filled with strange writing and macabre drawings. The radio played softly in the background. Hmm. This is a most interesting find. This book is old. I can't even read it. Is it Sanskrit? Aramaic? It's all written by hand and the paper has such a weird texture to it. Professor Hawthorne, are you there? Uh, yes. One moment, please. The professor gently shut the book and set it in a drawer of his desk. He left the study and crossed the hall to the front door. Professor Hawthorne, I hope I didn't catch you at a bad time. Not at all, sir. What brings you to my humble abode this gloomy evening? I'm Detective Ray Graham, Twin Rivers Police Department. I'm afraid I'm here on police business. We found a body in our river a few days ago. I'll try and spare you the details as best I can, but we found some weird marks on it. Not in English, or French or Spanish for that matter. Nobody knows what they mean. One of my contacts told me that you're an expert in languages. Well, I've certainly been known to translate a page or two in my time. Do we know who the victim is? It, uh, was? It's probably best I don't tell you. What we do know is that he was a collector of rare books. I see. Do you have pictures of the markings? I do. Just brace yourself. They aren't pretty. With that, the detective drew forth a series of Polaroids depicting a deceased human male, his body pale and bloated from being in the river. As Graham had described, the corpse had been desecrated with a knife, symbols etched into the flesh with near-surgical precision. The professor inhaled sharply at the gruesome photos, and Detective Graham watched his eyebrows shoot up briefly before he regained his composure. Recognize these? I'm afraid not. Uh, but I'd be happy to consult my books. If you'd leave the pictures with me, I'll get to it first thing tomorrow morning. There was a long pause as the detective looked at Professor Hawthorne. The man's face looked worried, almost frightened, small beads of sweat forming on his brow. Professor, if you know something, now is the time to tell me. As I said, the markings are unfamiliar, but I'm sure I can figure it out. Leave me your telephone number and I'll be sure to call as soon as I know more. 
the detective scribbled his number on a sheet of paper and departed, noting to himself that he should return soon. The professor was clearly withholding something. He made his way back to the car. He'd speak to the victim's wife tomorrow. As soon as the door shut, Professor Hawthorne hurried to his desk and once again removed the book, opening it to a random page. His stomach twisted as he confirmed what he saw. The symbols in the book were strikingly similar to those carved into the body that had been found. What did this mean? Had he accidentally made himself complicit in a murder? He had found this book the day before at a local bookstore. Finding it curious, he had purchased it and brought it home. He thoughtfully ran a finger over the page as a sinister thought occurred to him. The pages, they're... No, no, no. I will not think about such foolish nonsense. The old man eventually shuffled his way to bed, but found himself staring wide-eyed at the ceiling, wondering what it was he had gotten himself into. The following morning, our tenacious Detective Graham was up early, his alarm blaring at 5 a.m. sharp, as usual. He yawned and stretched before donning his robe. His wife was still sound asleep as he left the bedroom, so he made sure to tiptoe out. He slipped into the bathroom to brush his teeth. Looking in the mirror, he stared into his own blue eyes, his short brown hair sticking up at odd angles. He ran a finger over his square jaw, noting that he needed to shave. He would do that later. That task felt a bit overwhelming at the moment. He settled for brushing his teeth and washing his face, as well as combing out his hair. He then plodded downstairs to the kitchen. As the smell of roasted coffee beans filled his house, Ray mulled over his plans for the day. He would have to speak to the victim's wife today. That probably wasn't going to go very far. These kinds of interviews rarely did. But if he could pick up even a hint of a clue, it would be more than he had. He could not get his mind off of his conversation with Professor Hawthorne. What did he know? Was he merely perturbed at the photos of a violent murder? Or was there something more at play? He decided to give the old man the benefit of the doubt for now, and would visit him again in a couple of days. As he poured a steaming cup of coffee, he reached into a cabinet for a bottle of whiskey and poured a generous amount into his mug. His wife would yell at him if she saw it. She always complained about how much he drank, but he had a feeling he was going to need it. With coffee finished, he dressed, donned his coat, and stepped out onto the rainy streets of Twin Rivers, popping his collar against the wind. He climbed into the driver's side of his beat-up Volkswagen Rabbit and made his way north to the address of the victim. It was out on the edge of town, on the border of a huge stretch of pine forest. He arrived after about a half an hour, his tires crunching loudly on the gravel drive. Parking, he gazed up at the old two-story manor jealously. He could never afford a place this nice. With a deep sigh, he stepped up onto the front porch and rang the doorbell. A woman greeted him, of middle age, with long auburn hair, pulled back into a messy bun, and bright green eyes. 
Her face bore an expression of concern. Can I help you, sir? Alice Marshfield, wife of Edgar Marshfield? Yes, who are you? Ray Graham, Twin Rivers PD. I have some questions regarding your late husband. I don't understand. I already told the police everything I know. I understand, ma'am. Unfortunately, as the detective assigned to the case, I'm afraid I must insist. May I come in? Fine. Uh, have a seat in the den. I'll be right with you. Can I get you something? Tea? Coffee? Coffee would be fantastic. Graham found his way to the den. A large room with a cold, empty fireplace, two large leather chairs, and several bookshelves. He wandered the room, inspecting the walls and the shelves. All of the books had been there for quite some time, judging by the layer of dust that had settled over them. It was then that his keen eye noticed that there was a gap in the books. The dust disturbed and streaked. I'm out of sugar, I'm afraid, but there's plenty of cream. That'll be just fine. Thank, thank you. The two of them sat opposite each other on the leather chairs, and there was a long, awkward silence. Um, what can I do for you, detective? Well, Mrs. Marshfield. Alice is fine. Alice, right. Well, Alice, when was the last time you saw your husband alive? About three days before they... Before they found him. So, roughly a week ago? It's been so hard to keep track of time. I understand. Did your husband have any enemies? Any that might wish him harm? Enemies is a strong word, but there were a few other collectors that don't really like him. Book collectors? Yes. Edgar was always on the prowl for rare books. He'd go to conventions, take long road trips, and hit every antique shop and bookstore along the way. Attend auctions? That sort of thing. And I'm assuming he probably swiped several books from under the nose of interested parties? Exactly. Real collectors get quite protective over their prizes. Edgar would receive threatening letters pretty frequently, especially after his last find. And what was that? Real old book, leather-bound. Had all kinds of weird writing in it. Not English. Edgar got sort of strange about it. Got angry with me if I suggested he stop. There was a pregnant pause during which Alice looked down at her shoes. What happened then? I, I don't think you'd believe me. Let's just say for the moment that I will. Anything you can tell me, no matter how strange. Well, one night, Edgar had gone out for a night on the town with his friends. He came stumbling home about four in the morning. I thought he was drunk. But I came downstairs and he was frantically flipping through the pages of that book. I asked him why. And when he looked at me, his eyes, they weren't bright. They were glassy, far away. And I swear to you, detective, they didn't belong to my husband. He kept saying something about a codex and that someone was after the book said he had to get rid of it. And after that, he ran away with the book, and I never saw him again. Until the police came. Yes, I understand. I'm very sorry for your loss, ma'am. 
I think you should go now, detective. I need to be alone. With that, Ray stood and exited the house, pulling his car out of the drive as he watched the blinds on the second floor open, knowing that Alice Marshfield was watching him leave. As he drove back into town, Alice's description of the last night she saw Edgar weighed on him. He was acting strangely, said that they were after him. He had to find that book. But how? Glenn's Book Nook was a quiet, unassuming store on the west side of Twin Rivers. It was not a large establishment, but it was the only bookstore to survive in this town. Small shops had opened up here and there once in a while, but people only ever seemed to want to go to Glenn's. He and his partner, Bradley, had been running the store for years. In a lot of places, a gay couple in a small town would be the subject of talk, to put it one way, but nobody in Twin Rivers could think of a bad thing to say about them. They were just another married couple here. When Ray pulled his car up to the store, he paused, taking in the sight of the converted duplex home that was the bookstore, the hand-painted sign, the peeling paint on the porch. He smiled, remembering a time when... No, now was not the time to think about that. The porch steps creaked under his feet as he opened the front door and stepped inside. The smell of books hit him like a ton of bricks. The shelves ran the entirety of the main room, with books on every topic imaginable. A long counter ran along the front edge of the store, and the middle-aged man behind it smiled broadly when he came in, eyes twinkling. His long curly hair fell to his shoulders, and his horn-rimmed glasses perched low on his nose. Detective, it's been some time since I've seen you in here. Glenn, good to see you. How's Bradley? Not so good, I'm afraid. His heart valve is failing. I'm sorry to hear that, Glenn. Is there anything I can do? Only if you wield the power of the Lord himself. Only that of the law, I'm afraid. I'm so sorry. We're doing all we can, Ray. He'll pull through. Now you didn't come here just to talk about my husband. What can I help you with? <sighs> well, to cut a long story short, found a body in the river and I'm looking for a weird book. A weird book? Weird in what way? Leatherbound. Full of weird symbols. Not in English. Anything like that? I had a book like that turn up here. Man came in a couple days ago, older. Argyle sweater, glasses. Professor Hawthorne. And he found a book on the shelves just like you described. Terrible thing it was. It just felt wrong. Pages had a weird texture, not a word in English or any language I've ever seen. And the weirdest part is, I had no record of the book on file. I keep fastidious records of all my books. Never saw it before. But it was in the store, and I'm not going to turn down an offer. I see. Well, call the office if any word of the book comes round. I've got to find that man. And Glenn, give my best to Bradley. I'll tell him you stopped by. He'll be happy that you're well. Professor Hawthorne sat at his desk, staring imploringly at the mysterious leather tome, which lay open before him. 
The squiggles on the pages refused to reveal their secrets to him, and the strange diagrams and drawings made little more sense. He looked once more at the Polaroids that Detective Graham had left. No matter how many times he stared at them, they got no less horrifying to him. He would have to try and develop some sort of cipher. That would take time, but the day was still early. He stood up and headed to the kitchen to make himself a cup of tea. As he set the kettle to boil, he could swear he heard a vague noise from the den. He paused to listen, at first hearing only the hum of his refrigerator. Then the sound came again. Augustus. The professor shook his head in disbelief. Augustus, come to us. I really am losing my mind. Professor Hawthorne crept slowly back to the den, peering around the doorframe at the book, which still lay open on the desk, unmoved. Augustus. What do you want? The book remained silent, as books are meant to, but Augustus still felt inexplicably drawn to it. As he approached, he noticed that the text on the page had shifted and that three words, in bold writing and in English, were scrawled across the strange runes. Find the others. It was at this point the professor felt a presence in his mind. He watched as his hands, unbidden, picked up the book and held it close to his chest. Against his will, his feet turned him about and headed for the front door of his house. Yes, I think I will go find the others. Stay tuned for the next thrilling chapter of The Tome, where darkness and mystery collide and the boundaries between what we can and cannot perceive begin to blur. See you next time.